Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. I did not want to join the Border Patrol. I wanted nothing to do with any job that had to do with law enforcement. I did it for security. I did it for my personal security. I had gone to work straight out of high school with the U.S. Forest Service as a firefighter. And it was an exciting job and I loved it. I got to travel. I loved the mountains and the forest. The forest became my second home. But after 20 seasons as a temporary worker with the U.S. government, I decided it was time to do something to secure my future. And I thought, well, a permanent job with the federal government with full benefits would be a good way to do that. But it's not easy to get a permanent job with the federal government if you're not a veteran. And I had never served in the military. So I put in for about 30 jobs all over the country. And the only offer I got was with the Border Patrol in San Diego. I thought, this is going to be weird. <laughs> but at least they have good weather there, and it'll be a good place to wait out a couple of years till I can head back north. So there I was on the border in the desert between these two huge cities, San Diego and Tijuana. And I had left behind everything I loved, my wife and my family, my hometown, the job I loved, and I was all alone there on the border. What the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> um, but the border is a very surreal place. It is laid out in a straight line right there, without regard to topography. It goes over, streams meander back and forth and ridges go across. And there are slums right up against the fence on one side and thriving neighborhoods on the other side. And originally the border was a three-strand barbed wire fence. But in the 90s, they started Operation Gatekeeper. And they brought in the National Guard, who literally moved mountains. They shaved the tops off and filled in valleys because they wanted to build this fence system, a dual fence system, that would stop anybody from sneaking through. The primary fence right on the line was 10 feet tall, made out of corrugated steel landing mat left over from the Vietnam War. And 100 yards to the north was a 14 foot high <coughs> mesh fence. It was built out of expanded steel mesh with quarter inch holes, too small to get your fingers in. And it went up 
for 10 feet and then angled back to the south, four more feet. And in between was this road that the agents could patrol back and forth, watching. And my job was a heavy equipment operator on the fence maintenance crew. There was 10 welders and five equipment operators. And our job was to maintain both these fences and the road. The welders would go out patrolling every day, looking for places where people had dug under or cut through. And they'd patch them up by welding pieces of steel. And the equipment operators took care of the road. We graded the road and took care of the culverts, did erosion control. And we also helped the welders if they had special projects to do. But sometimes we didn't have much to do and we'd drive around looking for things to do. And one day, another equipment operator and I, Dan, decided we would drive up on top of Otay Mesa, which is eight miles from the coast, where the fence between San Diego and Tijuana hits the mountains, the very east end. Because we knew Charlie and JD, two of the welders were up there working on a special project. So we went up, and sure enough, they wanted our help. And over the next few weeks, we brought in some cranes and all-terrain forklifts. And we started helping them on this project. They were building some big steel grates to cover the heads of culverts. When the guard had filled in this gully to build the two fences, they had put in these huge culverts. Enough culvert to handle a 500-year flood. There was five concrete tubes, six foot in diameter, about 100 yards long, with fence on one side and the other fence on the other. And they had to build these grates that could be dropped down to seal off those culverts so nobody could sneak through. But also they had to be able to be raised in case there were flash floods so they wouldn't get clogged up with trash and plug the culverts and wash out the roads and the fence. So it was a pretty big project. There was a lot of steel and we were helping them over the next few weeks. And one day I was out on the crane and I noticed in the gully to the south, down below on the Mexican side, there's a bunch of shacks down there. These little houses and tar paper shacks and there were some kids out there watching us and all afternoon they were out there watching and we shut down for lunch and we sat down and opened our lunches it was quiet and these kids popped through the culvert they came out and I remember looking over my shoulder at the agent we were always watched by a Border Patrol agent. There was always one not far away. They were there for our protection and also to make sure we weren't smuggling. But he didn't move. He didn't get out. Nothing happened. And so we shared our lunches with these kids. And uh, after lunch, they went back. We went back to work. Over the next few weeks, they'd come through more and more often, and pretty soon, 
they were there every break, and our lunches kept getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> and one day, we heard a woman calling. And Charlie went to the feds because he'd married a Mexican woman. He spoke some Spanish. And he spoke to her, and it was their mother, it turned out, who was looking for the kids. And he said, it's okay, we'll send them through. And he did. And spoke to her some more. And we learned that their father had snuck through some time ago and was working in construction up to the north. <coughs> Would come home every chance he could to visit the kids. So this project was taking place in the wintertime, and it was getting close to Christmas, and we were getting close to finishing up. And we decided to take up a collection and get these kids some little gift bags. And we went to the Salvation Army and got some warm coats, and we brought them fruit and treats. And on the last day, when they came through for lunch, we gave them their gift bags. And they were so happy to receive these gifts. And I have a picture of them holding apples. They were all holding an apple, which there's a lot of fruit in Tijuana, but apples are a special treat. They don't often get there. And there was Arturo and Valencia, Catalina, and little Violeta, and their dog Daisy, all in this picture. And I looked at the kids, and I knew that soon these big steel gates were going to come clanging down and seal this culprit forever. And we'd never see these kids again. And I realized that the flood that we were preparing for, when it came, would wipe out every house down in that gully. The house where they lived would be gone. And I now know that as long as there are kids living in poverty and slums on one side, and there's jobs on the other, no fence that we build will ever stop people from trying to sneak through. Because if those were my kids, I would have done anything to try to give them a better life. But the flood didn't happen that winter. But in the spring, there was a different flood. It was a flood of butterflies. I noticed it one day as I was driving along the border between the fences. There was a lot of butterflies. I mean, a lot of them. And uh, I looked at the secondary fence, and there was quite a few all against the secondary fence. And a lot of butterflies, they were flying from between six and 10 feet off the ground. And they could easily fly over the primary fence, which was 10 feet tall. But when they got to the mesh fence, which was 14 feet tall, they could feel the breeze. And even though they could have easily flown over that one, when they got up to 10 feet, 
he started angling back. And they only knew that, like me, they had to get back north. They could feel the breeze. And they were fluttering against the fence trying to find a way. And as the weeks went by, there was more and more. There was thousands, hundreds of thousands. There might have been a million by the time a couple of weeks had gone by. It was a banner of butterflies all along the secondary fence, black and orange and white wings fluttering, looking for a way past. And one day when I came out to the secondary fence, I pushed a button on my radio that opened an electric gate that would let me get between the two fences. And when I did, butterflies started pouring through and I got an idea. And I got in there and I drove along and there's a, there's a gate about every mile along the fence. And every time I came to a gate, I pushed the button on my radio. And as the gates opened, the butterflies poured through in a flood of butterflies heading to the north. Because I knew I couldn't do anything to help those kids, but at least I could set the butterflies free. Mm -hmm.